Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. What's up, everybody? I am Drew, and this is episode 152. 52! That is a significant number in comics! <laughs> oh! Oh! You have been waiting a hundred episodes to say that I have been because you forgot to say it when we did our actual episode 52. <laughs> Are you sure? I feel like that's something I might have said, but oh, who knows? <laughs> I feel like 52 is such a such a failure in comics that it's hard not to mock it whenever the opportunity comes out. I, I find it hard to imagine that I would have missed the opportunity to rag on it when, when it came up. Yeah. But, yeah. That's true. That's true. So, well, there's only one way to find out good listeners, whether I did or not go and listen to episode 52 of between the gutters and help us confirm that. Uh, we'll know if you did it or not, because we'll check the statistics to see if there's, any sort of rise in uh, listenership to that particular episode. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And yes, all our listeners who have been with us for a while, your ears do not deceive you. We do indeed have a new theme song. That's right. We real now. We mm-hmm. we're like we're making it big time. We we've got our own people doing music. We've uh. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for you to, to go somewhere with that. I I think I came into it with with the kind of uh, big energy that presumed I was going somewhere, only to face the realization that I was only going in circles. So <laughs> there was really nowhere for me to go. Yeah, it's okay. So this is our new theme song that you just heard as we opened up this episode. Thanks to our friend Corey J. Beats for producing this new song for us. We'll drop a link to his Spotify in our show notes. But yeah, he does some good stuff. Check out his work. And yeah. Corey, if you're listening, thanks again, man. We appreciate you. And, you know, from the gutters of our hearts, we want you to know we thank you. Yes, from the absolute gutters of our hearts. Exactly. <laughs> so this week, we are going to do something that we haven't really done too 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 often recently. Uh, we are gonna do another hashtag manga menagerie episode. We are gonna go and we're gonna pick a manga that we're gonna talk to you about. In this week's episode, the what what we're working on or what we're going to discuss is Adam, the beginning. Um, I guess I'll just give a very brief synopsis of it. Uh, and and. And then I'll shoot it over to Drew to, you know, fill you, our good listeners, on the creatives or the people behind it. Actually, you know what? Let's do the the way around. Drew, you mind taking okay. the lead on that? Don't mind. Don't mind at all. So the credited creators for Adam, the beginning, are – there are quite a few, actually, that are listed. So I'll just go through them uh, and say a couple things about each one. But – First, the original story is credited to Osamu Tezuka. And the reason for that is because Adam, the beginning, is a retelling or a prequel to Astro Boy, which is also known as Adam in Japan. And that's 
Tezuka's probably his most famous uh, creation, Astro Boy. Uh, so just a couple things about Tezuka as as a way of introduction. He is nicknamed the God of Manga. He's the original creator of Astro Boy among numerous other creations. He's often compared to and regarded as the Walt Disney of Japanese comics and animation. Tezuka produced comics at an inhuman pace, and they range from works for children to adult-oriented literary comics. He's one of the giant figures of 20th century art, and his impact on manga and anime, on comics and animation in general, is massive. So there would definitely be a lot to say about Tezuka, but that's kind of outside the scope of this episode. He gets the credit for original story because this comic wouldn't exist without his original ideas. Yeah, yeah, more than fair, uh, you know. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right when you say that if we were to try to cover just Tezuka as a whole, we could commit an entire episode. Heck, we could commit a series of episodes to that. You know, so there's probably a podcast out there somewhere that's just purely dedicated to all his works. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he's he's long lived, and well, you know, long, and his work has had a huge impact on the medium of comics and manga. So you know, uh, this being a podcast that is bringing the light of knowledge to those of you who uh, want to share in comics or who may not know much about comics. Uh, it, it's it's a great opportunity to, you know, uh, enlighten you on on one of the greats. That's right. Next up, we have a credit for concept to Masami Yuki. I don't know exactly what that entails. I'm guessing he probably came up with the general outline, probably the general plot and some of the ideas and themes for this reimagining or prequel for Adam. But yeah, Masami Yuki gets a credit for concept. He is a member of the studio known as Headgear or the not studio, the collective group known as Headgear, uh, which was big in anime, especially in the 80s. He's a co-creator of Pat Labor, which is one of my favorite anime series, anime franchises. His most notable manga credits are the Pat Labor manga and Birdie the Mighty. Although he's had a pretty productive career himself, it doesn't seem like many of his works have been translated to English, unfortunately. So there's not really a whole much more that I can say about his his work. The, the artist and writer of the series is Tetsuro Kasahara. I don't know much about him either. I do know from looking at his credits that he's the creator of Rideback, which is a manga about a girl who drives or pilots a transforming motorcycle. So he clearly has a background or interest in Mecha. Rideback was also adapted into an anime back in 2009. Some of the other manga that he co-created or created are Sky of Vice and Edison Fantasy Science. but there's precious little uh, information that I have about those. I don't think they've been translated to English either. There is also a credit for supervision given to Makoto Tezuka. He is Osamu Tezuka's eldest son. 
partially owns Tezuka Productions, and he is heavily involved in curating his father's works. He is also a director in his own right, both in live action and anime. There's finally also one more credit, uh, and that credit is in collaboration with Tezuka Productions, which is the studio founded by Samu Tezuka in 1968 and the IP holder of his works. Finally, Adam, The Beginning, Volume 1, was translated by Jonathan Clements and lettered by Jessica Burton. It was published in English by Titan Comics. This first volume that we're discussing in this episode was released back in early October, so just a couple months ago. Adam, The Beginning was originally serialized in Heroes Inc.'s Monthly Heroes magazine from December 2014 to December 2020. And then it was transferred over to Comiplex online in November 2020. It is still being serialized. It's not over yet. And currently it is at 17 volumes. Titan has so far solicited up to the fourth volume. So uh, assuming that things go according to their plan, we'll at least get the first four. And I assume that if it sells well enough, they'll continue uh, giving us the rest of the series. One more note about Adam the Beginning is that there was also one season of an anime based on this manga, and that was released back in 2017. Do you have any other comments or thoughts you want to say, Albert, before we move on? Uh, no. No, I mean, I, I, uh, I commend you for doing your due diligence and, uh, you know, putting that all out there so that our listeners you know, know who's who and what's what, and uh, it's it's good information, so I appreciate that. All right, cool. you have any general thoughts about Astro Boy? Yeah, uh, so I guess this is where we can kind of talk about what our experience with Astro Boy is as well, because um, uh, it's hard to talk about Adam without pointing at Astro Boy, seeing as how it's a reimagining or retelling of that Astro Boy, uh, you know, comic, the original Astro Boy comic. So uh, I guess I'd have to say, uh, well, okay, let me clarify. Were, were you asking me about my thoughts on the work or like literally are on, on Astro Boy? Just generally on Astro Boy. Yeah, okay. I think Astro Boy was is such an icon that even though i never watched any astro boy as a kid or i was never or i never read any uh astro boy manga or anything like that um you know i would go to japantown on occasion and you know walk through the bookstore or just walk through the plaza or whatever and occasionally you'd see this image of this little boy with with you know, a spiky, I wouldn't even say spiky hair. He he has like one spike <laughs> and, uh, you know, the iconic red boots. And um, Doesn't he have two spikes? Does he have two? Maybe it's two. One on each I, side of his head? Okay, okay. Two spikes. Sorry. Two spikes. I think I only, I think when I think about it, I, I'm only thinking about it from one angle. So the way that they draw it, it looks <laughs> like one spike. But, okay. Yeah. yeah so... You know, it, it it was something where the image of Astro Boy 
was something that always stuck with me, even though I wasn't familiar with it. It it's it's very much in the same way that Batman and Spider-Man are recognized worldwide. And even if you've never read a Spider-Man comic, there's a good chance that someone would look at Spider-Man <coughs> and they could go, oh, yeah, that's Spider-Man, right? Um, yeah. Maybe maybe for Americans, it's not quite as uh, – uh, well, I wouldn't even say Americans, but like – well, I think now it, it might be more likely that people would recognize Astro Boy, but definitely when I was growing up, I, 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 I think it would be hard to say whether he was as familiar, but – you know, I think as a kid, people older than us would have recognized him. Okay, okay, yeah. But do you he's... remember that one Calvin and Hobbes strip that had an Astro Boy reference? No, I think what that might have been the first time I came across Astro Boy. Really? Yeah, there was an there was a strip, and it might have even been a story that was like a couple of days or a few days long. But yeah. there was a little story about how I think Calvin was going to go to school to take his for his school photo day and he decided that he would put some gel in his hair and you know look nice for the camera and if i might be misremembering some of these details but i want to say that his mom tried to comb his hair to look really nice and you know (laughs) professional and he wasn't a big fan of that so when he got to the bus stop uh he'd messed it up a little bit and then ended up having uh his hair with these two spiked ends and then Hobbs looked at him and he was like, you look like Astro Boy. <laughs> and at, at the time I was a kid, I was like, what's Astro Boy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Astro Boy. Right, right. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Without the iconography of Astro Boy as a kid reading that, like even as a kid, as much as I loved Calvin and Hobbes, I think I even knew that they were more sophisticated in something that was over my head. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Astro Boy was something Bill Watterson and his generation were probably more yeah. familiar with. Yeah, yeah. I do remember seeing some of the old, like, clips of black and white Astro Boy, and, you know, that's it, it came out in an era before all this stuff was readily available. So, it, you know, even as I was growing up, even if I was aware of it, it's not like I could get my hands on it or watch it or anything. I was just peripherally aware of it. But, you know, as I've gotten older and as I've uh, continued to follow in comics, that that knowledge or awareness of Astro Boy, rather, has always been around. Um, and they've made remade it a couple of times. And I've had interest in watching a couple of those iterations, but I've just never really made the time for it. But there speaking, was even uh, an American movie back. I don't know. Yeah, 12 years ago, it was a CG movie. But that's not worth talking about unless you're going to mock it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could mock it, but I didn't actually watch it. You don't have to watch it to mock it. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They they also tried to do a Speed Racer American version of that. Oh, yeah, the uh, Wachowskis. Yeah, yeah, I forgot that they were connected to it. <laughs> so, which would you rather make fun of, Drew? <laughs> I, I guess I'd probably rather make fun of the live-action one. Yeah, yeah. That's, at least, yeah. At least I can say with Astro Boy, it's, you know, 
within the realm of uh, animation. Yeah, so. it, and at least that was clearly targeted at kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that Speed Racer live action by the Wachowskis was aimed at kids. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Yeah, I think... I could be wrong, though. I think I read a study somewhere that said that that Speed Racer was made for no one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but that's um that that's my uh I guess my connection to Astro Boy. Um and, and I will say that one of the reasons, uh oddly enough, that we did choose Astro Boy for this particular episode was Adam. Or uh Adam for this particular episode was I think it was just a weird sense of just uh synchronicity or whatever you'd call it but uh it, it just felt like in the past couple of weeks astro boy was popping up a little bit or, or had caught my attention so much so that i was like oh cool uh the the manga is out on hoopla i i can check it out and why not and then right around then there was a sale on uh sentai so i decided to finally buy my own copy of uh adam so you know I'm really gonna get my fill of Adam uh, in this next couple of months. <laughs> yeah, you got the anime, so you can see how the the anime shapes up in comparison to the source material. Yep, yep. What about you, Drew? What are your thoughts on Astro Boy and the impact that Astro Boy has left on you? Yeah, so after that Calvin and Hobbes comic, at some point I did figure out who and what Astro Boy was. And I think that was a combination of just spending a bunch of time in comic book stores in the early 90s, uh, which meant that I would occasionally come across anime and manga magazines or even fanzines back when those were a thing. <laughs> and just reading through stuff like that exposed me to, at, at the very least, I heard the name Osamu Tezuka and learned that he was, you know, a big figure and really important. And Astro Boy was probably his most famous creation around the world. And just a superhero that that uh, has lasted for a bunch of decades. Character that had a really unique look. So I, f I figured out who Astro Boy was. I don't think I actually watched any Astro Boy anime until probably few years after that, like in the mid-90s or later 90s, when I had friends who were also interested in anime, and sometimes they would just record stuff uh, off-cable television, and sometimes uh, those stations would play old episodes of random stuff, you know, like mm. Star Blazers or, or Astro Boy. And of course, they were all the Americanized, bastardized, dubbed versions. <laughs> but right. at the time, we were just starving for anime so right. any way that we could get it, even if it was abridged or dubbed, you know, we would just take whatever we could get because it looked different <laughs> from American cartoons. If it was recorded on a camcorder through a grainy filter uh, through somebody's window, you would watch it because you were just starved for anime. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like today, man. Kids today, I tell you, they got it too easy. Exactly. Back then we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways rain or shine 
I had to murder people to watch anime. Huh. <laughs> I wasn't expecting a confession. <laughs> well, you know what? These old bones, when we start talking about anime, I just I just let it all out. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, so if there's a cold case out there where, you know, we still haven't figured out who the perpetrators are and the only things that were missing was someone's beloved anime collection then there's a good chance that that was me. So, there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think I between had Between the much... gutters. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast where we reveal our deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think I had too much of an affinity for those old Astro Boy cartoons. Just because... Uh, I can't say... Anything about them really was memorable to me, at least at this point in my life. Like, I, I definitely know that I watched at least a couple episodes, but maybe as a kid, watching those really old cartoons from the 60s might have been something that didn't appeal to me as much as watching what was then a modern cartoon. So, I, yeah, I don't think my friends and I bothered trying to watch more Astro Boy, and it was just something yeah. that it ended, it ended up becoming something that I knew about, but just wasn't interested in watching too much of it. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't until maybe like I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago when, when I actually sat down and, and read some Astro Boy manga. So yeah, are relatively about the original Astro Boy manga, manga, yeah. uh, like, okay, yeah, the actual Osama Tezuka Astro Boy, okay, yeah, because Dark Horse had the license. I think they still have the license for it, and they were they doing released the all those digest sizes. Yeah, there are all these. They they did a pretty comprehensive release of it, I think, or at least the ones I read uh, might have been in the earlier volumes. But yeah, I checked it out. Uh, yeah, it's it was enjoyable. I I think it's still something that, because it's a little older and it was aimed at little kids, it's not necessarily something that connected mm -hmm. with me as yeah. an adult reader, but it's something that I could appreciate from just a historic level. You know, like it's it's an yeah. artifact of its time, but I can still appreciate it for what it is and what it does. And there there are probably some things in there that do have more depth than your typical 50s or 60s comic. So it, I wouldn't say it's completely mindless or anything. It's it's just if you're going to read something like that, you, you need to prepare yourself to understand the context of, you know, the times that it was originally made. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you in that I always... I think with Astro Boy, I always was more charmed by the idea of Astro Boy than any of the actual, like, material that was out there. At, at least the the original Tezuka Astro Boy. Like, I think it's part of why I never really went out of my way to try to watch those old cartoons or or read the old mangas, if, if only because... Yeah, I mean, the idea of it was more 
what captivated me than the reality of it. So that isn't to say that I'm not going to go back and, you know, give them some sort of viewing at some point for just academic purposes. But, you know, I I think... Unless you have I, a reason to do so, you're not motivated this right th- right this moment to do exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I appreciate Astro Boy for its cultural cont- contribution, and I appreciate it for... Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's cultural contrib- contribution. So, like, I, I I do think that there's definitely value in that, and I think it's it's a situation where it's kind of like when we were talking about Mobius, or not not even Mobius. I, I forget what we were talking about, but it like they're constantly rebooting it. So I I think deep down inside, I secretly want them to eventually reboot a version of that that's the like ideal version for me. <laughs> you know. Are you, wait, like, are you talking about Astro Boy or are you talking about Mobius? Astro Boy. I mean, I was talking about Astro okay, Boy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But we've seen a few iterations of Astro Boy since the initial one that uh, Osama Tezuka made uh, came up with, and you know, I, I'm just hoping that with each one that comes out, uh, that I find something in it that you know really strikes a certain chord with me and resonates with me, and. Um, yeah, that's 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 just my hope. It's 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 that idea of I like Astro Boy so much as a concept. I want it to succeed and I want it to do well and I want it to immortalize itself in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I think Astro Boy. The thing with Astro Boy though is, is that it is something that is for kids. So if you're looking for if you're waiting for a really mature take on Astro Boy. I feel like the the best that we're going to get is either something like this or Pluto. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. Like, I, I don't have anything uh, inherently against kid, uh, you know, kid-centric stories or anything like that. In fact, I love those kinds of comics and stories. They, I, I find a lot of joy in them. So We you love know. stories about kids and stories aimed at kids. We just don't <laughs> like kids. <laughs> is that about does that about sum it up <laughs> uh, i feel like you've described every neckbeard out there in existence who's, who, who goes around talking about how they love like pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, but they hate that they have to share it with children <laughs> stupid <Yeah>. children <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm sure somebody out there wants a grim dark pokemon reboot Oh man, man! So, someone <laughs> now out I'm there is that. just <laughs> clamoring for a mature reader's take on Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind that those people exist, and I have a feeling that those people exist in far larger numbers than we would expect. Um, you know what the funny thing about that is, man? Other than those actual people, because I do laugh at them, um, <laughs> it's like. You were clearly drawn to Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh or Astro Boy or whatever for whatever reason, right? And I I imagine that the reason involved whatever charm was central to the identity of those properties, right? And for those people, again, this is straw man at this point, so maybe those people don't exist, 
those people, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I I still think in my heart, I bet those people exist. <laughs> and to them, I just wonder, like, why do you even like this then? Uh, and all you want to see is a grim version of it. I definitely believe those people exist, man. There are people who like those stories where Superman kills people. So, you know, if you have if you have tons of fans of something like Injustice where Superman murders his enemies and people love that and eat it up because they think it's a realistic response or, you know, that's how Superman should be or yeah. whatever, you know, then there are going to be people out there who I think probably think that Pikachu should be able to electrocute <laughs> his enemies to death. There's a story out there where there's a, a nation that has the death penalty and they just have Pikachus just lighting the electric chairs up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's... <laughs> that's anyway, I was also going to say when you were talking about these different that if, when you were mentioning how you you've been waiting for your ideal version of Astro Boy to come into existence, I was gonna say that I do think Pluto is a really great piece of work. Mm. So so Pluto is a manga by Naoki Urasawa that's also based on Astro Boy, and he it's it's an official modern adaptation of one of the most famous. Astro Boy stories ever back when Tezuka himself was doing the Astro Boy manga he had a story called The Greatest Robot on Earth and Pluto was the name of that story's evil villain this I don't even know if I would call him evil but he he was the villain of the story and he was just this gigantic super strong powerful robot so Back in around 2003 to about 2009, Naoki Urasawa, who's a really famous and successful mangaka in his own right, like if you've heard of things like 20th Century Boys, Master Keaton, uh, Asadora, or Monster, like those are all his works. Uh, mm -hmm. There's this other one that was super famous. Uh, oh, Yawara, that's what I was thinking of, a sports manga. But yeah, he's he's just a guy who turns out hit after hit after hit. And in 2003, he did this adaptation of Astro Boy and called it Pluto. And he turned that story, which was a really straightforward, simple story about Astro Boy fighting a bunch of... of uh, well, Astro Boy and Pluto fighting a bunch of other robots. Uh, Urasawa turned it into this murder mystery... Mm -hmm. and he made it a mature story without making it gross yeah you know what i'm saying like it it's mature in the sense that it can appeal to an yeah. adult reader but it's not like the story somehow becomes it wasn't gratuitous right yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't he doesn't turn astro boy into a killer he doesn't turn uh i don't know he doesn't turn the doctor who made him into a child molester or something like that, you know? <laughs> I think nothing... what it does from what I remember is it just dials up the drama to, like, realistic, <laughs> mature levels. But, right. again, 
he turns Without. it into a murder mystery because yeah. now the the story of Pluto isn't so much focused on Astro or Adam, however you want to call him, because you know in America we've just been accustomed to calling him Astro Boy, but we know that his name is Adam. But uh, Urasawa turns the story into this murder mystery where our main protagonist is a robot detective who's trying to solve these murders because all these uh, robots and humans get killed in a way where there's a serial killer at play. And uh, it involves like the greatest robots fighting robots in the world, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like the the most powerful robots on Earth are killed. And when whenever they're get whenever they're killed, they're bodies are positioned in a way so that it looks like they have uh, horns in their head. So there's a serial killer uh, doing all this, or at least someone wants us to think that. And there are also some people who end up getting killed and it becomes this big thing because robots in their world, like in a lot of other science fiction stories, generally don't kill people. So it's something that has to be investigated and uh there's a lot of there's a lot of uh heavier themes in the story of Pluto as well like themes of of war and post traumatic stress and uh a lot of the stuff that you'd probably expect to find in these robot kind of stories that you also see in Adam the beginning which me- which includes things like uh the nature of artificial life or artificial intelligence uh, what it means to to have compassion and those kinds of qualities that you would associate with Astro Boy. And yeah, one of the interesting things about that story is that Astro doesn't even come into the story until a little bit later. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot, man. That's that's something that I keep holding out hope that they're gonna do like some kind of deluxe version of it, but. Yeah, it's been all these years, and I don't think they're going to do it, so I might just have to pick them up yeah. the way they are, or maybe just get them digitally or something. They have beautiful it's, it's not that art, long. Though. It's only like yeah. eight volumes, nine I think. volumes, I think. Oh, eight. Yeah. Maybe it's nine. I forget. Yeah. Well, what? Uh, I think it's fair to say that we're in the ballpark of it, so. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the two. Yeah. But it was because of Pluto that really reinvigorated my interest in Astro Boy in the first place. Because I started reading Pluto and I was like, okay, I dig this. So I think I should probably go back and read the original Tezuka comics. And that's when I ended up checking out some random volumes of the old stuff. And then I also found the greatest robot on Earth story. So I could read the the specific story that Pluto was based on. Yeah, I remember that day. I forget where we were, but you did find that particular volume in like a discount bin or something. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was a pretty cool find. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, you know, I guess while we're on the topic of just like other Astro Boy related things, um, there was an Astro Boy series in 2003 that I was always interested in. But again, 2000, around 2003, like the prevalency of anime, it, it was still pretty big, but I still wasn't in a place where I was able to get my hands 
on a cheap copy of of that series. So I, I remember Was it something seeing, that was actually uh, licensed in America? Like you could actually buy a DVD of it? I think so. I, 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 I think so. I don't remember like the specific details, but um, I do remember seeing it on sale. But again, it was it just wasn't something that was cheap. And, uh, you know, me being a broke college kid, I, I wasn't going to spend like 75 bucks on a box set or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But the the Heck, one cool as thing... a working adult man with a job yeah. <laughs> still pretty unlikely to spend 75 yeah. bucks on a box set that's true well I, I mean the thing is it's 13 dollars on like right stuff right now but it's the dvd quality and yeah it, it's it's just not at a, a visual quality that i would like it which just goes to show that i'm there's just no pleasing me <laughs> yeah do they yeah. even make Blu-rays of that? That's the thing. There's no Blu-ray of it out right now, so I think I might just have to bite the bullet and just buy the DVD of it. But and it's the entire series. I believe so. I want to say it was like fifty something episodes, maybe forty something. Dude, for thirteen bucks, that's pretty dang good, man. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe I, I should scrub this part of the conversation out of the recording so that <laughs> nobody else will steal the deal before you. <laughs> Somebody's gonna listen to this and be like, "Dude, I gotta get that." They're going to buy the last copy. Maybe we'll enrich someone's life, and as a result, they'll become lifelong between the gutter files. Oh, yeah. That's true. See, okay, look what so I do for you people. Whoever's out there listening, if you snag that deal before Albert does, give all praise and glory to Between the Gutters for leading you down this path of savings. Exactly. Exactly. The other alternative route that this could go is... I did mention that I've murdered people for anime before, so I could break into your home and try to kill you for it. <laughs> <laughs> See the circular logic here? <laughs> uh, that's what we call a callback. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but the the one thing that I do remember about it was um, that 2003 series, they had a... I don't remember if it was the opening or if it was just a music video. I think it was a music video, and I think Mflow did the music video for them, and that was pretty cool. Oh, nice! I dig yeah. Mflow. Mflow is dope. Yeah. Yeah. So, there we go. You want to jump into the book discussion? Yeah, let's talk about Adam, the beginning, volume one. Yeah. So there aren't too many chapters so i guess we could just go into it chapter by chapter and you know just discuss uh what we glean from it as we go how's that sound? sure sure all right so chapter one we meet our cast and what we have is a106 a humanoid robot being developed by tenma and ochimazu ochan ochan mizu i'm sorry if i'm butchering these names i'll try the best that i can but if you've Try harder. To this podcast. Please try harder. <laughs> if you've listened to this podcast, you know that the cross section between my effort and my willingness to expend energy, there's not too much overlap there. There, there have been so many times in our the history of our podcast when Albert has called me draw or draw, and I I have What's to up, keep bruh? correcting him. What's up, draw? <laughs> That's not What's how you pronounce on, my name. <laughs> Do you even lift, Dra? <laughs> uh, 
But anyways, um, Tenma and Ochan Mizu, his AI is limited, but his emotional and mental capabilities have been developing at a rapid rate. He has some physical powers, but only uses them for self-defense. And and just so uh, you know, I give credit where credit is due. I got this from the uh, th- these descriptions from the 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 Adam Wiki. Okay, so uh, we have Hiroshi Ochan Mizu, a university student eager to develop a human-like robot. He is determined and energetic, but can easily get carried away. We have Umataro Tenma, Hiroshi's classmate, a lazy but intelligent robotics student. He can be arrogant and brash, but is dedicated to robotics at his own pace. Ran Ochanmizu, Hiroshi's 14-year-old sister, an odd and aloof young girl. She doesn't speak to people she doesn't trust. She also has a crush on A106. (laughs) Moriya Tsutsumi, Tenma and Ochanmazu's school rival. He is a mysterious child prodigy who even built his own enhanced wheelchair. And then we finally have Motoko Tsutsumi, Moriya's younger sister, a fashionable and outgoing girl. She is an ally of Tenma and Ochonmizu and studies with them. Um, so we get our introduction to these characters, and shortly thereafter, during a parade, another robot goes haywire, and A106 takes notice of the imminent chaos and threat and does something unexpected and unrobot-like. He takes the initiative to save all the people at the parade. This is the first inkling that there was something different about A106. So that's chapter one. Uh, is there anything you want to add about that? Any thoughts you have on that first chapter? I guess just speaking generally regarding the different characters that are introduced in the story, A106 also goes by six. At least that's what his uh, the two students who created him call him that, uh, just for short. And I was looking it up and. Uh, I guess according to uh, to Wikipedia, A106 is also Japanese wordplay for Adam. So, <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's something that I would not have caught on my own because I don't know Japanese. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that it makes sense because I think at first, when I just looked at the cover of the book, I don't think I realized that that robot on the cover was meant to be the prototype version of Astro Boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I guess if his name is Adam, then yeah, it, it. I guess somehow he'll end up looking like the Adam we know. Yeah, and just so for those of you listening, uh, the, the robot that he's describing, or if you can imagine Astro Boy, rather, Astro Boy in his most popular and most known well-known iteration is literally this little boy with just shorts and red boots and you know uh i don't know how to say this without feeling kind of weird but he looks like he's shirtless right (laughs) (laughs) is he shirtless you made it weird <laughs> there is no situation that I can't make uncomfortable Druh. <laughs> I mean if you had just said that he looks like a little boy and he, he wears shorts and red boots you know that would have been enough I think but then you had to point out the fact that he's a little boy who has no shirt on 
I mean, I'm not the one that designed him, so I'm not the weirdo here. <laughs> well, one could also make the argument that how do you know Astro Boy has no shirt on? Like, Maybe. I don't see any lines of demarcation denoting that he has a t-shirt and, like, his entire upper body is all singular toned. It's it's flesh toned at that. So what if he's wearing a flesh toned T-shirt? <laughs> it's possible. I, w- I won't take that from you. But <laughs> I mean, if you if you look at his chest closely, he has no nipples. That's true. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about spending this much time on this subject. Not necessarily because I feel like we're wasting the time of our listeners so much as much as it is that it's, it's making pointless. me feel it's making me feel pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, anytime the more time we spend on it, the more uncomfortable it gets. But you know what, Albert? It's totally okay because he's not an actual little boy. He's a fictional robot. Oh, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> hey. She's not she's not a little girl, okay? She's actually a 16 million year old demon, okay? So <laughs> get off your high horse. She's just a picture, right? 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 <laughs> Let's talk about the two scientists who created him. Yeah. I'll just call them yeah. Hiroshi and Umataro to make it easier but there's something funny about how they draw or how uh kasahara draws what's his name uh the one with the big nose i'm pretty sure that's that's hiroshi yeah yeah he's he's like this friendly the friendlier of the two and the more upbeat and energetic one but he just has this gigantic nose and it's played for comedy in various scenes Whereas Umataro is the more serious and straight-laced one, the one who seems more ambitious and comes across as, I guess, if not condescending, just straight-up arrogant at times. It's almost like he's that scientific trope that you see in like science movies and TV shows where their intelligence kind of makes them an arrogant jerk. But that's yeah. because... They can't, you know, they can't exist in a world with lower functioning people that don't, you know, meet them on their level. That sort of thing, you know? Right, right. Yeah. There, there is some funny stuff in their dynamic together, though, because even though they have these diametrically opposed personalities, where one is super serious and one, or he's super, like, Umatara's super serious about his robots and he's kind of the sullen or or grumpy kind of guy mm-hmm. and hiroshi is this upbeat personality there's something funny in, in how they get along and yeah. even uh i guess play with each other is the only way i can figure out how to say it because there's some scenes where i forget if it's in the first chapter or not but like There'll be see- there'll be some scenes where mm-hmm. they're celebrating something and they'll honk each other's noses. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go back and look in that. I don't think I uh, realized that that's something that had happened, but that that really? there is something funny about that. Yeah, yeah they they did that a couple times. 
and uh yeah okay yeah i'm looking at the just the last page of chapter one when after when uh after six has saved the people at the at the parade uh they're both kind of just laughing at the situation and or laughing in relief and at everything that's happened and then they're grabbing each other's noses and it's just funny because <laughs> the one dude has a really big nose like a clown sized nose you know and they're yeah, just grabbing yeah. each other's noses calling each calling each other geniuses so it's something yeah. that's really silly and cartoony it's pretty endearing it's, yeah it's something that we see later on too it's funny man yeah but i think it works because the one dude has the big nose yeah it's i just imagined if me and you after every episode we were like yeah good job and then we just proceeded to honk each other's noses <laughs> Something. <laughs> I mean, me and you are good friends, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if I want you to touch my nose. Yeah, I I know I wouldn't want you to touch my nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely wouldn't there. want to touch your nose. <laughs> yeah, but the other thing about Hiroshi is that it kind of looks like his hair is in the shape of Astro Boy's hair. Yeah, I wonder if that's you know, like a foreshadowing thing or something, because again, I don't really have that much of a background in the lore of Astro Boy. Uh, Astro Boy, you know, primarily exists to me as a concept more than anything else. So, you know, there's there's a lot there in terms of um, you know, who was behind the creation of Astro Boy, or who will eventually become behind the creation of Astro Boy, and uh, you know, the mysteries behind that, right? So mm-hmm. I guess this iteration, uh, this retelling of Astro Boy will find a way to, again, like rework some of those details in a way that <sighs> makes it, uh, makes maybe certain things uh, reconcile certain elements so that it makes more sense to modern contemporary readers. Um, yeah. Or you know, might even build in some new mysteries. It It's something that I feel like I'd have to research further or investigate further uh, in order to see, like, what happened, uh, what they did in Adam that points to things in uh, Astro Boy lore, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. My, my memory of Astro Boy lore is pretty poor because it's been so long since I read those old comics and... Truth be told, even if even like a short time after reading those, I don't think my recollection of a lot of details was super strong. But I did uh, glance at some summaries of or some Wikipedia summaries of the concept of Astro Boy. And from what I uh, gleaned, Tenma or Umataro, he was the original. That was the name of the original guy who created Astro Boy in the old comic. And well, yeah. And then in the future of the story, or I guess depending on which version of the story you consume, whether it's the old manga or the old anime mm-hmm. or one of the other reboots of the anime, mm-hmm. basically what happens is 
Umataro Tenma is the one who originally created Astro Boy, and then at some point uh, he either abandons him or leaves him, and then Astro Boy is on his own for a while, and finally joins up with, I guess, some kind of government agency, and that government agency has a scientist named Hiroshi Ochino Mizu, who ends up becoming kind of his surrogate father. So I guess in a way, both of these characters are like Astro Boy's father. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm, I'm wondering, how do you feel about spoilers at this point? Like, would we be okay with talking about spoilers for Astro Boy or no? Yeah, I guess I'm fine with it. Okay, so again, I'm going to put this out there. I don't know if my recollection of it is 100% accurate. And, you know, if you if it strikes a chord with you or, you know, shakes any memories loose, feel free to join in. But I think from what I do know of Astro Boy, like the the, the original Tezuka story or maybe the anime, I, 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 I don't remember which, but um, I think what happens is uh, Hiroshi designs Astro Boy after his own dead son. Right. Yeah, that's the like I guess the the core mystery, but uh, that's that's one of the elements, the the primary elements of Astro Boy was that he was ba- designed based off his his dead son. So I'm I'm kind of curious to see like how this version of Adam works, uh, like how this story ends and how it'll eventually tie into um, the Astro Boy lore, you know. It doesn't seem like the characters are old enough to have a dead son because they're in college. (laughs) (laughs) So there's no dead son out there yet is what I'm saying. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Something to look forward to. Great. Is is it okay if I give you a spoiler about Adam, the beginning that I learned just from reading the second paragraph of the Wikipedia page? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay. Yeah, this is on the second in the second paragraph of the Wikipedia entry for Adam the Beginning. So if anyone out there listening doesn't want any spoilers whatsoever, just fast forward like a minute from this point. But what I read according to the Wikipedia entry is that the manga is initially set up as a prequel. Like that's how it's that's how it was marketed. And but then uh here's i'll just read it it says however as the story progresses discrepancies with the main story of astro boy emerge and it is later revealed to be a different world with a divergent history from that of astro boy after an incident in 1969 so yeah apparently it was something it was a story that was marketed as a prequel but ended up just becoming an alternate alternate uh yeah okay okay so i I don't don't know if that affects your reading of it or anything like that but i guess it's fair to say you could look at this as a another reboot or reimagining of yeah yeah adam i don't i don't think that that's something that affects me um in the slightest really like we've had enough reboots at this point where uh of astro boy in particular where that that in and of itself shouldn't be you know a new thing yeah i i guess i could see 
If there was like some diehard fan out there who was like, this is the prequel. This is how everything was, you know, was made to be. And then only to find out, you know, after the fact uh, that it was just <laughs> another alternate universe. Maybe that guy, that person would be upset. But. Yeah, for I don't us, know, it's I not guess my it's problem. Just a shoulder shrug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not my problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let mm-hmm. that guy be upset. <laughs> All right. Did you have any thoughts on any of the other characters? Uh, I think, uh, yeah. And again, this is just a situation where I'm not really too familiar with uh, the existing lore of, of the Astro, the world of Astro Boy. So I don't know who these characters are in relation to anyone that they could be in the alternate universe or whatever. But, you know, based purely on uh, the observations, you know, Ron seems like a pretty lovable kid sister type of character you know she's kind of nerdy uh kind of that super genius archetype where she uh you know is withdrawn from the people around her um you know the description stated that she doesn't really talk to people that she doesn't trust and it almost feels like she's more comfortable with machines than she is with people um i didn't really see too much from her um but, you know, just based on what we do see, she seems like someone that we could grow to, to, to appreciate as if we keep up with the story. So there's that. Um, Motoko Tutsumi, uh, yeah, she's kind of, I don't know how to do, like, I guess the popular girl uh, in the series in that she's obviously attractive um she's someone that i I don't know if the main characters are drawn to her but if they are drawn to her it's in this like love hate sort of way yeah well no i think there are a couple of scenes where they begrudgingly acknowledge that there's like some attraction there um you know but uh she does help them out in her own way uh so and she doesn't really come off as like snooty or anything like that, which is a nice change for for those characters. You know, we we don't always have to have like a mean girl or something. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I, uh, overall they they all seem like likable characters that I can enjoy and uh, go on this journey with. So I don't I don't have any real problems with any of them. Did you have thoughts on Moria Tsutsumi, the rival? Well, genius? I guess the funny thing is. If it's a rivalry, it feels like it's a one-way rivalry because uh, U- Umataro and well, I guess it's mostly Umataro. Again, he's he's the the more gruff of the two uh, in the duo, and he's the one that views uh, Moria with yeah, I guess suspicion or mm-hmm. uh, the sense of competitiveness, whereas yeah. uh, Moria just seems like kind of an all-around nice guy like i don't i don't there there might be some some inkling of something beneath the surface but you know that's something to follow up in future chapters of the story but uh, mm-hmm. i i don't mm-hmm. i don't think that at least on the surface uh based on what we've seen there it's not like he's another arrogant jerk who's 
going out of his way to ruin these two. He just happens to be really good at what he does, and just by the virtue of being that good is automatically... He's the best there is at what he does. Yeah. <laughs> but what he does ain't very nice. <laughs> <laughs> but because of that, just by the virtue of him being the best at uh, what he does, it just automatically puts him uh, at odds with um, Umataro, which... You know, it's it's a it's kind of played for jokes a little bit. It's it's kind of like uh you know Crazy Quilt if he thought that he was Superman's um you know arch nemesis or something like that. All right, well let's move on to the next section then, or the next chapter rather. So what we have in the next chapter is in chapter two, Ryan is rud- rummaging through a scrapyard for parts when she is accosted by a mysterious robot. A-106 comes to her defense. While all this is going on, Hiroshi and Umataro are in a class trying to convince their peers and the the grant board about why their design in A-106 is superior, about what it is that makes A-106 different. After a seemingly failed presentation, it is revealed that although the duo didn't receive any additional grant money, they were also able to convince the board not to reduce their funding either. And sometimes not losing is as good as a win. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you're spoken like a true champion. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If you've lived the life that I lived, then (laughs) that's the kind of experience. That's the that's the kind of attitude that my kind of living cultivates. (laughs) Yeah, so. You know, in this chapter, what we're seeing is uh, Hiroshi and Umataro sitting in front of uh, a grant board. They're basically trying to secure more funding for themselves uh, in in over the course of this lecture by convincing them that A106 is uh, superior or, or A106 has something different about him than uh, the other robots. And, and later on in the chapter, we do see like some of the... I guess the philosophical differences in other robots exhibited for for us to compare and contrast against. But there are a couple of scenes here that I took uh, screenshots of. Things like, so I'll just quote these panels, but heart, which is to say kindness, consideration, ultimately it is directed towards others. So this this was, uh, in the presentation he was giving, he was detailing what it is about A106, what a-106 has that other robots don't have, and the first thing that he mentioned was, you know, the the concept of heart, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he goes, the crucial thing is a clear distinction between self and others. In other words, ego is needed, is indeed the first step towards the concept of heart. Um, so, yeah, right there, there's the mention of ego. I, I guess another way to put that would be, you know, self-awareness, Um and that's something that goes again hand in hand with uh, the the concept of heart, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing that they listed was priority, recognizing what is important to oneself and taking the initiative to protect it. And we see this early on when they're at the parade in chapter one, when the other robot begins to go haywire. Uh, A one hundred six is in the costume as well. And he's supposed to just be performing his duties as, you know, 
kind of a mascot type of character just just there to uh interact with kids and you know uh just be amusing but mm-hmm. when the robot goes haywire that's that's an example of i guess these three things playing out um a106 showing that he had enough self-awareness enough ego to be aware of what was going on and two to take priority slash initiative in protecting in stopping this robot from exploding before all these innocent bystanders got in the the way of that right right and then it goes to the final uh item on their list of uh on their list uh you can par- uh, you can paraphrase that as love or emotion. Affection towards others is indeed founded on heart, and ego is its starting point. So that kind of close wraps that all those ideas up. Which is um, again this. I guess they don't put it in so many words in the manga, but uh, it, well, no, I guess priority is that right. The mm-hmm. w- once A one hundred six has that level of self awareness. Um, its priority is towards the protection of others over itself. So I thought these were some interesting panels that were good at highlighting and summing up what it is about Adam that was special, right? Uh, yeah, if, yeah. If you're reintroducing Adam to this new generation, that you know what better way than to just put it in this smorgasbord for to let people know that these are the things that it's 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 presented for this grant board but it's also a way for us as the reader to be like yeah this this is what makes him such a lovable hero Mm-hmm. yeah were you gonna say something i'm sorry i was just gonna say that the other thing that uh umataro says towards the during their presentation is he says bestowing a concept of consciousness is indeed the only way to bring autonomy to soulless machines in any real sense because these people live in this society where there's a lot of robots already in existence but most of these robots are essentially treated as mere machines or tools they can do uh you know handle certain tasks and perform acts of labor but if they're trying to develop artificial intelligence the way that umataro sees it is that well he and hiroshi both see the idea of how important it is to give a sense of autonomy to the Mm -hmm. robot that they create yeah and yeah so so consciousness kind of uh, encompasses all the things that you just described in terms of heart and uh, the ego and priority and being able to take initiative and care for things and or have love or emotion and and those kind of things. So, so, yeah, those are the kind of ideas that get introduced into this story. And I I suppose that those are kind of the standard tropes of, I guess, any kind of robot story that's concerned with consciousness and identity but like you said it it is helpful for us because it it does explain pretty directly what makes 
Adam special? What sets him apart from the other robots? Yeah. And I'd, I'd probably even go so far as to say is that the the last thing that uh, you shared from Hiroshi about love or emotion and heart, like that's probably the thing that sets Adam apart because he has affection towards others. Because I think one of the things that I remember from other Astro Boy comics, the old Astro Boy comics, is that robots do have the ability to like do stuff and take initiative, but I think a lot of robots end up just being as bad as people. people. <laughs> <laughs> Look what I have bestowed that. upon the world. <laughs> Look at my creation. What a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Astros is different because he's not a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's interesting now that we're talking about it cuz I do feel like this is a pretty optimistic take on the idea of technology and artificial intelligence and I'd say that we're pretty accustomed to a lot of science fiction stories where the creation of new technology only leads to bad things, if not the absolute and utter destruction of mankind and society. Yeah. And and living in the world that we live in, I think it's also fair to say that the promise of, um, you know, the tech industry has in recent years certainly... Uh, shown us that even those promises have have come pretty short of doing the amount of good in fact i might even say that the amount of bad that they do almost it it makes you question sometimes like whether it's worth it for the amount of good we get right so you know take for example something like twitter or even the internet as a whole, right? Like, I remember in the early days of the internet, there was a lot of, uh, you know, marketing and talk about how this is going to bring the world together and it's going to do, like, so much to make the world a smaller place so that we can all become unified and, you know, know each other. Turns out, turns out it just, it, it might have allowed some people to do that, but it turns out it also allowed the jerks of the world to get together, and yeah. it also allowed them to chip away at our social cohesion. So, yeah, it's definitely but, become a, a vehicle for extremist groups to congregate and organize themselves. Yeah, and when you have that many people using Facebook or uh, whatever social media construct that they use, whenever people can use things like that to gather together and make it easier for them to rally together and organize things and do stuff. It, it It's it's just a bunch of stuff that's no good for the rest of society. Yeah, yeah right. And, like, we've seen that uh, copious I mean, amounts of screen time really has just, a way of affecting mental health. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's something just completely enervating about spending too much time doom scrolling on twitter or i oh, mean it doesn't even have yeah. to be doom scrolling but just like being on social media it kind of saps your your energy and yeah. for what for who you know like you're not yeah. accomplishing anything other than occupying your mind with something it has but, the potential to warp you into just something gross <laughs> yeah yeah i was just gonna bring up that uh story that 
was in the news earlier this week about how in Germany uh, the authorities there just arrested, made a bunch of arrests because this extremist group was plotting to uh, execute a coup and yeah. overthrow the government. And but, then there was signs that they had connections to conspiracy groups and QAnon and all yeah, that garbage. Yeah, so all this all this stuff online helped facilitate that group from uh, just being guess, kooks to an yeah, organized kooks, movement. Feeding into each other with these crazy ideas and and then organizing a plan to actually try and overthrow the government. Yeah. Yeah, that that was pretty disturbing. And then I think the news report even said that there were like 20,000 members in the group or something like that. Yeah. I think it was like 25,000. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of people. And and I don't want to well, now that you've like touched on the subject, like I don't want to go too far off off the topic, but there was even one thing where they were talking about the conspiratorial aspects of it, uh, where there were some people who believed that after World War II, when the Allies defeated uh, the Nazis, um, they felt that this government, that the German government post-World War II was illegitimate because that was a government that was installed by the Allies as if that's like some sort of argument. <laughs> like, see, there's yeah. a conspiracy because – we didn't get to choose these people. That's not our real government. You know, it, it's completely blind to the fact that, well, you guys did try to do some awful things and you kind of deserve to be toppled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I say all that to to getting back to the point of Adam. It really does feel like <laughs> Adam took a pretty optimistic take on it, right? On, on technology. It, it's still hopeful, about technology and it's still hopeful about the idea of doing good with it mm -hmm. um right at the beginning of the story we we do get there's uh they they drop a little bit of uh, a few hints that something did happen uh what was it in 1969 was that what it said oh uh, anyways um there, yeah, there were some hints earlier on at the beginning of the series that there was some sort of uh, some sort uh, of war, some sort of war or something that included uh, artificial intelligence and robots, and it's reshaped their society ever since then. And now we get to the point where Adam enters the picture, and Adam breaks the mold for all of these things because, again, their idea of what Adam is, their description based on these criteria that they've assigned to Adam, he's He's something that transcends that. He breaks the mold uh, when it comes to whatever commonplace technology uh, came before him, you know. And that's what makes him special. And I guess it's 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 a it's a pretty hopeful look at what technology can offer. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah. You want to move to the next chapter? Sure. So Hiroshi and Ubataro now need to make a living, and they apply for a moving job with Maruhige Transport. The owner is adamantly against robots in the workforce as he feels that they're ruining society. But before Hiroshi and Ubataro are rejected, they get called out for a last-second job. Um, the owner of the company doesn't have anyone else, and these two... Uh, you know, uh, are standing right before him, uh, in front of him. So he decides to take them up on their offer and the robot to go and do this last, uh, 
split-second job. It's an, it's an opportunity to prove themselves and to prove A106. Um, still, uh, A106 shows how efficient and capable he is by helping to move all of the items, but the boss is still unconvinced until on the ride home, an autonomous vehicle goes haywire and A106 saves a school bus full of children from crashing into the truck. Yeah, again, it's it's another chapter that highlights what what it is about Adam or A106 that makes him different from other robots. You you by contrast you have this autonomous truck which is quote unquote technology that we do have now and I I I'd, I'd probably venture to argue that our auto- autonomous trucks uh work Nowhere near as good as the trucks in in this story, and even uh, the truck in this story ends up going haywire. So, yeah, <laughs> there's a thought, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I hear some resignation in your voice, Drew. <laughs> I mean, you already see stuff in the news about these self-driving cars getting into accidents, so it's it's definitely concerning. And someone could tell me that statistically speaking, maybe these self-driving cars are still safer than human drivers because there's tons of human drivers that get into accidents every day. So, you know, maybe there's some logic to that, but I guess it kind of feels like if people are going to develop these self-driving cars and vehicles like that, uh, I don't know. Like, I guess I really have to think about it and figure out if my lack of trust in technology is outweighed by my disdain for humans. <laughs> it's it's hard to say, man. <laughs> Which do you hate more? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's a... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I like. I guess if I had to add to your statement, I I just say that we're nowhere near in a place in our lives where uh, uh, that technology can I I I think give us a comfortable level of satisfaction. Like I I I don't think we're at a place where I'm confident enough that where we can go. Hey, let's just you know roll the dice on this. You know. Right. <laughs> like it might be way smarter than a horse and cart or, or or a carriage or something like that right in terms of you know autonomous driving or whatever but that that's still not enough for me like i need something that's slightly i need something that's a little more complex than a roomba <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but again when a a106 uh decides to save them he he, you know, overrides the the uh, the AI system in the truck, you know, and for a split second, they're pretty concerned because they feel like he might have been corrupted by whatever's messing up the AI in the truck. But really, his actions that he was taken, he did it so that he could preserve, you know, Hiroshi and Umataro. And then yeah. on top of that, when the truck goes, you know, barreling down, it, again, he goes out of his way. You know, presuming that A106 has an understanding of how, you know, finite 
his life is and uh, his capacity for death, uh, he puts himself in danger in order to save a bus full of school children. And what's what's more pure-hearted and good and noble than saving a bus full of school children holding kittens and surrounded by nuns? What if one of those kids <laughs> grows up to become a dictator who commits <laughs> genocide? In the words of Ye, I love Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hitler has a lot to offer. <laughs> yeah, didn't he uh, invent microphones and freeways or something? And toasters? <laughs> I don't know. Kanye West. <laughs> that man is the genius of our times. <laughs> He's not. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any thoughts on this scene or this chapter? Not too much. I guess one of the things that stood out was the artwork. I, I think the action-oriented art in this whole book is pretty strong and to me it's probably stronger than the scenes with just the people talking and and stuff like that i think the car chase scene and the fight in chapter two yeah. like those were all really well drawn and it, it does feel like kasahara has a, a great sense of movement and dy- dynamic energy on the page yeah the Machinery is well detailed and it just looks really believable. Like even some of the things that that are kind of cartoonish, like when when Adam throws, uh, he literally picks up uh, Umataro and throws him through the window of their haywire truck into the other truck. And it, it it's not that's not a realistic looking scene because how can you possibly throw someone like a javelin into a moving vehicle <laughs> like that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cartoonish. Yeah. But there's still something about the way that it, it all plays out where your mind is just rolling with it, even though this is cartoonish action. It's yeah. really well drawn cartoonish action, and the yeah. amount of lines that he draws for the just the speed lines and and the friction it i don't know i like it man i think it looks pretty good yeah and i wanted to go back to something that i thought that i didn't get to finish earlier because we got too caught up talking about naked astro boy but (laughs) (laughs) he's not naked he has pants and boots (laughs) topless astro boy okay okay (laughs) but um yeah so you know the conventional astro boy that we we know the popular version of him is he, he just looks like a little boy. Uh, whereas this version in a one Oh six, it looks, he looks more like a, like a traditional robot where you don't really have a skin to him. You, you kind of see all of the gears and the tubes and the wires and, uh, you know, all the bits and pieces as they connect inside his body. And did you uh, notice that he's wearing Crocs? You know what? Now that you mentioned it, I might have realized that. I, I don't think I took too much of a note about it, but I, I think at a glance, I was like, I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. 
it is it's pretty funny but i will say that the robot designs in this uh manga are pretty cool and uh it's like you said the, the action scenes are really dynamic uh when when he's fighting the mysterious robot which i think was mars i think that was his name yeah yeah later on yeah. it gets revealed that that was mars yeah he's fighting this robot called mars and he just looks you know he looks like a cool robot you know the kind that you see in like sci-fi movies whereas um you know a106 looks kind of like a tinker toy or something mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it's still a very fr- a very capable but endearing and friendly look to a robot and now that you mention it the idea that he's wearing crocs totally adds to that image of him <laughs> as just being kind of a delight yeah 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 there's some interesting stuff in the back matter of the book about the design of a106 yeah, I remember looking at that too. Where uh, the I artist, pull it up. yeah, the artist was uh, talking about how uh, he decided to go with a lot of upward curving lines to give the sense of optimism to the character. Yeah, uh, and it's something that yeah I hadn't considered before, but totally makes sense. Uh, it's it's very subtle because these these rising lines that you see in the figure are supposed to represent positive emotions. And then when you look at uh, downward lines, that's that indicates, uh, you know, negative emotions. So it's, it, it, it's, yeah, thoughtful design work. Um, and I'm glad that that little bit at the end was included. Yeah. Like those are the kind of behind the scenes things that, I wish we we always had more of. It's fun. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and we'll try to post it up on the Instagram. But it's 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 one of those designs where, as a kid, you just eat that sort of stuff up, where it yeah, just I fuels your imagination. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, like whenever it's like, you're, it's like when you're a kid and re- you're reading a Marvel comic, and you get one of those annuals from the '90s mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it has one of those cutaways of the Baxter Building, so you you know, like what every floor has yeah. and then you know like the bedrooms are here the the gym is here the reed richard science room is on this floor and then you have the all of their vehicles on this floor and you know it's all the stuff that triggers the imagination of a kid exactly exactly it's it's perfect uh like meat and bones for like world building too right it, it's taking that extra detail to flush out uh your imagination and make you believe more that these are actually functioning things within the uh working mechanisms of this robot's body right yeah it's it's great i love it mhm ready to move on to the next chapter ready uh umataro and hiroshi enter 6 into a robot wrestling tournament tournament Umetaro's sister Ron is with them, and they also meet Shunsaku Ban there, the son of Kensaku. Shunsaku is an avid fan of the sport, which resembles a gladiatorial arena battle, but with Mecha. Umetaro wants Six to do, to utterly destroy all of his opponents, but Six merely does the minimal amount of damage in order to incapacitate his foes. In fact, he is introduced to the audience as the kind-hearted child of science, much to Umetaro's disgust, 
with Hiroshi's glee. As an underdog, he defeats his first two his first two foes handedly and slowly begins to win over the crowd. Yeah, this it's, yeah this chapter gave me Battle Angel Alita vibes for some reason. Yeah, I think it's just because of all the fighting and the <clears throat> fact that it's played off as a sport. Even though the sport in Battle Angel Alita is more like this crazy roller derby kind of thing, uh, I, I oh. think it's just. The fact that the main character battles these gigantic robots that are way bigger than him, and yeah. they have a totally different aesthetic. So they're it's just fun. Yeah, they're super aggressive looking. It's fun just to see how these fights are illustrated, yeah. and the choreography is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's and just it's just lighthearted fun. Like even though yeah. they're they're ostensibly battling to destroy each other. The kind of, this is the kind of story where it doesn't feel like someone's gonna get, you know, murdered or or maimed. you know nothing doesn't feel like anyone's gonna get maimed or yeah, yeah. you're not gonna have a robot, you know, lose a battle and then decide that he needs to stop existing because he's no longer worthy of the mantle of being a warrior and he has to kill yeah. himself. You know, it's it's not that yeah. kind of story. It's just two robots having at each other. Yeah. Well, it's. I think the the very fact that in the story they introduce him as the kind-hearted child of science that that really jumped out at me because I really do feel like if they're trying to reintroduce Adam uh A106 to this new generation of readers and if they're trying to distill everything that they need to about Adam uh for modern audiences I think that kind of sums it up is the fact that he's not only, again, the best at what he does or, you know, really good at what he does, but he's, you know, he's good. He's pure. He's Mm -hmm. kind hearted, you know, things that (laughs) theoretically we should be uh, in favor of things that we should be uh that we should want out of our our heroes right right right. so again like it goes back to the idea that somewhere out there there might be someone who's like i need adam to to be this robot who's just constantly pissy because he never gets to grow up he's gonna be (laughs) a kid forever and he's pissed about it because he's never gonna touch a boob Just like he's gonna be the the little boy, like like the mean Pinocchio version of Chainsaw Man or something. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I hate you, fanboys. I hate you so much. You ruin everything you touch. <laughs> but the yeah, and when he enters the battle, the the entire scene they're they're trying they want you know they want carnage and they're they keep telling him like to utterly destroy your enemies and what he even though he's not fighting you know people uh a106 goes out of his way to like just incapacitate them in the most efficient ways possible with the least amount of uh, damage so like i think in the first battle from what i remember he he basically just knocks out the batteries of, the, of in the first battle, the robot he's fighting is actually uh, radio controlled, or has it receives these signals from yeah. it, its its owner, 
And then he and then Adam knocks out the transceiver. Exactly. He just rips yeah. out the an, antenna, so now it can't receive any commands. Right. Right. So it's literally incapacitated. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, I, I bet there's someone out there who's who looks at that and goes, "That's weak. He should have like ripped out their hearts or something. You know, ripped out the." There should have been an explosion. Yeah, but I don't know that there's a goodness and a graciousness to that kind of behavior that we just don't see very often anymore. Uh, and and I don't think we should encourage. Look, I, look, I'm not saying that there aren't stories where that sort of carnage isn't enjoyable from time to time. I like Battle Angel Alita too, right? But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it's good to see that we can see the flip side of that in, in this comic. And yeah. it's good that even though they reimagined A106 for in, in this story for, you know, modern audiences, that they kept that part of him. Um. I wanted to talk a little bit about the different kinds of robots that we see in this uh, in this gladiatorial arena because they expand on the philosophy of robots a little bit and what we see are there are different competing uh, uh, philosophies going on and uh, you know Hiroshi and Umetaro are talking about how what they want is true AI. And then what we also see are like what you were talking about, where uh, they had a radio-controlled uh, robot, mm-hmm. and then later on, I think we see one where there's more of a fusion, where the guy is actually riding in the robot. You yeah, know? yeah. This, his second opponent is a guy who's inside the robot piloting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember if I'm missing any of the other ones uh, that they were talking about or any of the other ones that they mentioned. But I think they come in in the next chapter. Okay, okay. This chapter, I believe, only has the two fights. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, again, the designs are really fun. Uh, they're pretty, like, wild and out there. Uh, I think I think this was one of the designs... Well, I'll save it because it's it's it, it's a design that comes out in the next chapter. But you know, it, it's it's the kind of thing that just excites your imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have anything else? Not too much. I I think this chapter is kind of simple, but it's entertaining. You know, like it's the kind of thing where you I, I can appreciate it just for for the artwork and the action, even though the at this point it still feels like the stakes are pretty low like there there isn't a whole lot of danger or any serious consequences to losing it just kind of yeah. feels like the that well number one adam just feels like he's going to overwhelm whoever he faces and then secondly uh the two his two creators they're just kind of like having fun watching in their own ways you know yeah yeah and from what I remember, like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Hiroshi was even, even though Umetaro was kind of upset that he wasn't messing up all the other robots, I think Hiroshi was kind of happy for that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. All right, let's go to chapter five then. Six continues to sail through the tournament. Umetaro is still huffy because Six isn't completely demolishing the other robots, but only disabling them. 
The final stage is a battle royale between six and four other robots, including the reigning champions. Mars, who ran, who ran points out as the robot who attacked her earlier, Umataro is convinced that Moria Tsutsumi is the designer and owner of that robot. However, he is shocked when a woman, doc- when a woman, Dr. Lolo, is revealed to the audience as Mars's designer. She takes a microphone and encourages the other contestants to team up against the robot. Mars makes short work of the other robots. Mars defeats all of the other contenders, in, and the final scene is of Mars and A106 facing off. Six sends a short-range direct communication to Mars and asks him why he fights. Six fights for his creators, and he will fight Mars, but he wants to talk to him as well. That ending is pretty interesting, too, because it's not a pacifistic ending because they're still going to fight, or it, it sounds like Adam is still willing to fight. But the fact that he wants to talk to the person he's fighting, that indicates something to us that's different, you know? it It's one of those things where I, I feel like I've heard you mention before where you're interested in stories where people don't have to resolve all their conflicts with fisticuffs, but they're actually able to use communication. Because it does feel like in real life, most of the time, our conflicts at least in daily life, are resolved with communication, if they're resolved at all. And yeah, uh, it, yeah. I mean, realistically speaking, if if you're solving all of your conflicts with your fists, then... <laughs> How do you exist in the world, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why hasn't it... Any, like, are you telling me that you get in a fight every single day? <laughs> I said I want decaf. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's I I do think uh, thinking back to the other iterations of Astro Boy, like from what I remember of reading Pluto, when Astro Boy shows up in that that sense of him not really wanting to fight other robots, not really wanting to kill other robots, that was like big part of him too so yeah it it does feel like it's kind of central to the idea of what astro boy is and uh, is about um and yeah it, it it does feel like we've just kind of moved away from that because you know we just live in a society where people people look up to you know you know like shit kickers people who get results right uh, it's mm-hmm. like, look at that guy. He he doesn't take anything from anyone. That's, he does that's, what he wants. Yeah, he does what he wants, exactly. That's, you know, you want to be like that. It just reminds uh, me of, uh, makes me think of people who who use the words like, who use terms like, oh, he's an alpha, he's a real Chad, or whatever. And they, you know, they're being sincere about it. But to yeah. me, I just feel like I can never use the word Chad in a sincere way. You know, like to me, that's a joke. Yeah, I can't even use alpha in a sincere way. Yeah, I mean, like, unless I'm literally talking about an alpha dog. Yeah. Like or in a wolf pack or something. If I'm, you know, using the Greek alphabet for something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But it's all stupid, you know? It's 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 not behavior that I aspire to have. Like, you know, me being... If I'm in a position of strength and 
my attitude towards people is to constantly deride them and to show other people that might be watching that I am clearly the stronger one out of all of us because I can, like, you know, deride this person. How is that a kind of person that you want to wake up to, to look at in the mirror every morning? Hold up, right? though. Hold up. Hold up. I do have to clarify that Between the Gutters is still the strongest podcast out there. <laughs> <laughs> we will fight any other podcast that says otherwise. <laughs> we are the alpha of podcasts. We're, we're Chad's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. That is, ugh. Ugh, my bowels, they grumbled at the thought of that. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's cool to see that, again, he's not quite a pacifist, but A106 goes out of his way to do as little damage as possible and, you know, only uses, uh, only goes to those extremes unless he isn't, you know, really presented with any alternatives. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the spirit of what makes him the kind hearted child of science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did like a bunch of the designs in this last chapter. The, the robots were cool. There's this one like cool looking centaur robot that has like, a horse bottom half and like <laughs> giant looking top half. I thought that I was really... the the uh, effectiveness <laughs> of that kind of design, but it it looks cool. <laughs> you know what, Drew? Horses exist in the world, and horses seem to do just fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but designing a gigantic robotic horse. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, I I think I would need an engineer to describe to me or explain to me what the advantages of that design are. <laughs> it's got four legs instead of two. What do you need? <laughs> <laughs> well, if four are better than two, why, why not just give it seven or, or 12? I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> why do you got to ruin this for me? <laughs> why, why didn't they make a caterpillar robot or something or a millipede robot? That would have had way more legs. Somewhere, somewhere out there. Uh, we'll eventually see the caterpillar robot. I promise you that. <laughs> the centipede robot. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm looking at these designs and the fight scenes. It's it's really fun stuff. What was I about to say? There was something that caught my... Oh, yeah. I wanted to see if you could describe Mars for us. Uh, you know, just for our listeners. Because Mars has kind of a cool design, too. Yeah, I guess I would just say he's got that prototypical slender humanoid look where he he looks very lithe and uh fit like he's got this athletic build and it it could almost be i don't know like a a power ranger looking kind of dude that's exactly what i was thinking (laughs) he's like a sentai ranger yeah exactly it looks like it could be a person inside there like somebody who's just extremely fit uh because it it looks more like a costume than than a a robot in a way. I mean, it, it just it could be it could be body armor. It looks it looks like it could be something like from a Super Sentai show or maybe Bubblegum Crisis or something. Speaking of Mars, one thing that I did think was kind of interesting was 
the scene right when he and Six are about to face off, and you have Hiroshi and Umutaro talking about what materials he's made of and how much he probably costs to make. And they come to the conclusion that what they're seeing is not just a robot wrestling match, but it's an undercover performance trial for the robot Mars. So it it, it kind of leads you to uh, this conspiracy, I guess, as to like why this Dr. Lolo is so intent on testing this this new robot like it almost makes you wonder if there's a i don't know like some kind of conspiracy yeah or or, or like is it does she have some kind of government backing to encourage her to develop a new weapon yeah because i think it is hinted right like in the backstory that there have been wars there was a war in the past that involved robots so like all of this kind of makes you question why somebody needs to build a robot this deadly or this powerful so yeah 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 i don't know i don't know if there's anything more to it i don't know if there's anything that's going to develop out of that but i imagine that's going to be the case yeah, yeah. I mean, we. This is the first volume in. I, I don't know how many volumes the series ran for, but it's, it's 17 and still ongoing, I believe. Okay, so, you know, I, I'm sure they're laying the foundation for all kinds of um, plot lines that they can flesh out at, you know, a, a further time in the future. Um, yeah, I think yeah. part of me does feel like maybe there isn't quite enough given to kind of entice me into continuing on. Like there's, there are enough hints of things in volume one that point to the wider world that the story inhabits. But I don't know if I would say that it's grabbed me by the throat to the point where I have to find out what happens next. Yeah. Like I'd say the thing that interests me the most at the end of it is what is what is Adam going to talk to Mars about or like how is that conversation going to go? Yeah, yeah. Like I, that that's probably the thing that that gives the most uh, emotional connection. Yeah, that makes sense. It's especially hearing that the series itself is on 17 volumes and counting it's it's a lot to it 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 looks like it's quite a mountain to climb you know um it'd be different i'm sure if this was like you know like pluto or something where it was like a a nine volume series where i could just kind of consume it and appreciate it for all of it in its entirety granted you know for all i know it could end after chapter 18 but uh yeah i i think because i do you know i i do enjoy the novelty of astro boy uh and because it's easily accessible on hoopla uh you know as long as it's coming out i i might wait until more of it is out before i go you know on a binge or something uh but yeah, I, I don't think I'm in a hurry to necessarily jump back into it super soon. Like I think I think 
Volume 2 just recently came out, or might be coming out soon, even. So, yeah, according to the internet, the release date for Volume 2 is December 13th, 2022. So that's just a short amount of days from when we are recording this. Yeah, yeah. So, there we go. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I think it was kind of a big. Uh, from what I saw, the advertisements uh, they were, they were you know trying to make a big deal of it because first time it's translated into English, you know. Yeah. I do think the art was cool. Yeah, yeah. it had pretty good art. I like the the action in particular, as well as the robot designs. Did you have any other thoughts about the story at all, or? Uh, not too much. Uh, I will say that it was enjoyable, and you know. Pretty much what I was saying earlier, which was maybe at some certain point I'll read more of it. But uh, for now, I'll sit and wait to collect uh, for more of it to come out. And then maybe I'll eat it, read it in a batch. But I do have the Adam, the beginning anime coming, uh, you know, in the mail or, well, Drew has it. So I have that coming and I'll, I might check that out. And uh, I might even go back and buy that. Astro Boy 2003 series uh, it, and man. finally Do give it. that a watch. Yeah, so you know, if they if they decide to come out with a Blu-ray next month or something, I'll be a little peeved, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, do you have any comics that you would recommend to people for uh, to people who are interested in this and want to read something like it or more of it? The main things I would recommend that came to my mind are the obvious ones, and I already discussed them quite a bit earlier in this episode, but I mentioned Pluto by Naoki Urasawa. That's definitely worth reading. Check that out. Uh, it's a really intelligent and sophisticated take on a classic childhood hero, and it's a tight, taut story, so... Uh, and it's self-contained. You really don't need to know anything about Astro Boy whatsoever. You can just pick up Volume 1 and dive right in. The other thing is obviously the original source material. Just check out the original Astro Boy manga by Osamu Tezuka. I don't know if there's any specific volume that I could point to other than The World's Greatest Robot. I don't remember which volume number that story is, but I'm sure you can look that up and that was the story that was the basis for pluto so if you're just going to read one astro boy story arc that's probably the one nice nice uh for my recommendation i was thinking about uh you know what they were trying to do with adam the beginning and the first thing that jumped out at me actually was a comic called all-star superman by grant morrison and frank quietly and the reason that I drew a connection between these two works is that All-Star Superman as a, a work, its con, its inception, conception, I forget which, uh, <laughs> its creation, <laughs> its creation was, uh, the ideas behind its creation when they decided to make it was that they wanted to create an evergreen Superman story that they could that would sum up everything about Superman in one story for modern audiences. 
and you know it would highlight all of the good and noble and uh you know endearing qualities of superman and just put them all in this one story for the whole world to display and i think adam the beginning does the same for adam in that sense i mean it's not quite as tight uh because again this is 17 chapters and running but i there were things about seeing you know adam just portrayed as this good pure-hearted and kind robot that just made me think about what is at the core of astro boy and why does Astro Boy as a concept still endure in the imaginations of people? So that's All-Star Superman is something that I would recommend that hits a similar tone and note. Yeah, that's a good thought. Yeah. I hadn't made that connection until you brought it up, but yeah, it makes sense. I see where you're coming from. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So if anyone has anything to, you know, any questions or contributions that you want to make uh, regarding what we read today, uh, Adam, the beginning, uh, by all means, hit us up at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or even better tweet at us on our uh, Twitter account at between the gutters, or you can hit us up on our Instagram at between the gutters as well. Um, yeah, we hope to hear from you, and if you're listening to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, uh, please uh, rate us highly so that it does it, – it helps us and the algorithm, supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Between the Gutters signing off. You have listened to episode 152, Adam, The Beginning, Volume 1 published by titan comics you can find that in paperback form or digitally on kindle or uh your digital libraries like hoopla and whatnot so it's readily available check it out thanks for listening everybody we will catch you next time bye guys peace <laughs>